this curriculum is really remarkable for lots of reasons, and we can talk about that. But um, the the feeling of being in the on the ground in the field at the church in the NGO in the whatever situation and knowing I had a problem that I needed help addressing but not having access to something that was for, made for me just a layperson with no mental health background who just wanted to help um, having access to that like that really drives what we think our mission is and and why I think our work is so important. If a tool like this exists that that is really designed for people, it needs to be accessible. It needs to be available. Um, so that's that's really the passion is that no one should be left not knowing how to respond. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that'll equip your team and strengthen hope. At the outset of this podcast, I want to offer a quick trigger warning. While details of traumatic stories are not shared in this podcast, we do speak of trauma and identify instances of trauma. So if you are sensitive to conversations about trauma, please ensure that you are seeking the support that you need. I'm Laura Howe, and on the show today, we are talking with Executive Director of the Trauma Healing Institute, Rebecca Taguma, about how the church can support trauma. Now, as a child, I have felt like church was a safe place, but the rest of the world wasn't always safe for me. Like many young women, I've been a victim of sexual abuse. I read in a stat the other day on the CDC, uh, that Center of Disease and Control, that over half of women and almost one third of men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact during their lifetime. That's a lot of people, 50% of women and one third of men. That is our community and that is our congregations. So if I think back to moments when I felt unsafe, a lot more things come to surface. Times of bullying, conflicts with relationships or, or complicated family dynamics, or even issues with my faith leaders when I was a young adult. Some of these situations rolled off me quite easily. I wouldn't even identify them as being traumatic. But upon reflection, there are a few situations that have impacted my worldview. And if I'm fully honest, are still a bit, still a bit tender. These are what are often referred to as little t trauma. Where, whereas horrific, life-threatening situations like war, natural disasters, accidents, or violence are considered capital T or big T trauma. And as I get older, I become more and more aware of how my response to these little T situations are impacting my everyday life. Things like parenting or my marriage or my career or my worldview and my faith are all impacted by my experiences. Have you ever found yourself at the altar at church or maybe in worship or in some quiet time with the Lord and you begin to feel nudging or the Lord working on these areas, bringing healing or or clarity. Yeah, 
I, that happens to me too. I think it happens to all of us who are just seeking God for our life. God is interested and, and curious and wants to be a part of every part of our lives. And the church is a community where support can be offered. As a counselor and mental health clinician, I'm obviously a huge advocate for clinical support and therapy, but that doesn't mean the church has offers no value in the healing work of trauma, even though so many people say, oh, you've been through a lot, you should seek a counselor. And absolutely, yes, you should. But what is the role of the church in all of this? And how can the church be a safe place where, where it can support those who have suffered from trauma? My conversations with Rebecca Taguma, Executive Director of the Trauma Healing Institute, is discussing this very question. As ministry leaders, we can be aware that our congregation and our communities are hurting and understand that there are deeper issues going on than maybe what communicated to us. But the question is, is how do we help? What is our role and what is the boundary? Rebecca grew up in Idaho in a Christian home with a family that loved her dearly, and she described her childhood as being fairly insulated. She went to university and college on the East Coast for political communication and spent some of her first year in Washington, D.C., interning for her senator. While in the middle of all the action of D.C., she discovered that politics was not the path that she wanted to go down. But I realized being in the Beltway that um, I didn't want to do that. Um, mm. what I wanted was to help people and to make a difference in the lives of people. And I found that, um, everything in politics was inward looking and it just didn't fit for me. So I took a year off and, um, I ended up, uh, in, in Seattle at a, uh, Christian school called Seattle Pacific university. It's free Methodist school. And because it was a Christian university, they required you to take and I was coming from a Christian background, so it uh, made sense. But mm -hmm. when um, the Christian schools, they often require you to take, uh, you know, Christian formation classes every semester. Right. And after the first one, I realized, oh, I really don't want to do communications. I really want to take more <laughs> of these classes. I have no career path idea here, but like, I love these theology and Bible classes. And so I ended up with a degree in Christian theology and my grandfather told me, you will never use that degree. Um, like, why are you doing this? You're never going to have a career. Um, and he told me and this. Why right is before. that? Well, because it was like, uh, you know, that's like ministry. That's not a right. job. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Like you'll never have a real, you'll never have a job. You'll never, you'll never get a job. That's what he said. My grandfather okay. said, you'll never get a job. You need to have a real degree. Um, mm. And so I kind of had that hanging over my head as I neared graduation. And I was without a job for exactly a week um, after graduation. Okay. And I, um, I ended up moving directly into sort of Christian oriented ministry that helps people. Right. Exactly what you wanted to be, that niche. Yes. How long were you in uh, communications, political communications? Oh, just like a, my first year of college and then exactly one term um, okay. in, in my second year of college. Yeah. And that was like, a, oh, stop. This is definitely not where I wanted. And then you redirected. So it wasn't okay. But this, what you're doing now, we're going to get to that in a minute, but what you're doing now is literally the intersection of communications and the, yeah. this is, 
Really interesting. Okay. I love that. Uh, Would you say that you have been the go-to person for helping people? Like when you, when someone is struggling, are you that person that is soft and warm or are you that person is like the problem solver and okay, this is what we're going to do. Cause I know what I am and I'm actually quite curious as to what you are. (laughs) I am not the soft person. Um, yeah, I'm the problem solver. I'm the, and actually that is really, that reality about myself is part of what has really driven to me to the ministry I'm involved in now. Because mm-hmm. when people around me have been hurting, suffering, um, experiencing grief, loss, trauma, I have often not known what to do. It doesn't mm-hmm. come naturally to me. Um it's, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to listen well. I don't know how to make people feel comfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that I need to sit with people in their grief. I know that people need to be comforted, but I often haven't known how to do that effectively. And that's so interesting because your passion or your interest, what motivated you to switch kind of programs in school was this passion for helping people. And I just, I just sitting there and uh, listening to this because I can relate so much that my passion and my interest is helping people. I was going to go into law. And when I did a placement in a courthouse and was with the crown in Canada, we call it the crown. I forget what you guys call it in the U S but I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm just talking about people. I actually want to help people. And But yet now that I am in my forties, I was like, Ooh, I'm not as much of a helper and a soft person as I am a problem solver. So it's just so interesting how God places these desires in us, but the giftings that at first glance don't seem to align, Mm -hmm. but in God and his sovereignty and amazing grace leads us to the work that we're doing now. Yeah. Just leading organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So my interest in helping people, I went from politics, make laws to help people to, mm-hmm. I still really want to help people, but I actually really just like these theology and Bible classes. And mm-hmm. my takeaway was I need to help people with their physical needs or their spiritual needs sort of exclusively. So I ended up... Um, I worked for Catholic Charities for a year in Seattle, doing mm-hmm. uh, working with people who were shut-ins primarily. Okay. Um, and then I did. I went with Mennonite Central Committee to um, Zimbabwe, which was a really life-changing experience for me. And there, I was looking. I was doing some community development work. Um, I was doing some education, but it was really about poverty alleviation and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, community development. Yes. It was like helping people with their physical needs, which had some spiritual aspects to them as well. Um, I lived when we lived in later on as I was married and I lived in the States, we went back to Idaho, um, worked at a domestic violence shelter. So I've had sort of, and then we went back on the, we went back uh, overseas into Zimbabwe and then later Nicaragua in Central America doing uh, community development work. Um, mm. And so my focus had throughout this whole time was really 
helping people with physical and sometimes spiritual needs, always very church-based. Um, but the reason I say this is because I came up against the same problem that I had from the very beginning, which is people were hurting, but all these interventions were great, but they didn't actually always get at the thing underneath. Um, and the people around me who were doing the helping, the helpers who really mattered, the local people, the people who were there for the long haul, the church leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the caregivers, um, they didn't always feel equipped either. Mm. And so I think that was kind of my takeaway from this season of being a helper is that people need to be equipped to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. The people who are there for the long term need to yeah. be equipped. It's so interesting that you're talking about this frustration of being um, the needs, the physical needs or the tangible needs, they're never ending. They're, yeah. they're almost like a bombardment to, to, the, to the senses of poverty and housing and food security and all of these issues. They're never ending. And yet there's this knowledge of underlying issues, but never really being able to put your finger on it. And People tell me this all the time. I was actually just this past week doing um, a challenge uh, with a group, about 300 care pastors or care uh, leaders uh, are joined in wanting to get clarity for their care ministry. And this exact issue has come up where there's so many physical needs or tangible needs that people are having. But yet the heart of these leaders is like, there is a root issue or there is a other core issues that we want to support with, but unable to, but so consumed with all of these physical needs and just not really sure on how to make that transition or, or how to address those within the context of the local church. So like, Hey, as a church, people come to us for benevolence needs and for food and for prayer, but we know there's these other issues underlying. How how do we as a local church step into that space without stepping out of our ethical boundaries? Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that's so interesting because it's a common theme that I hear a lot with church leaders. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's the question. And I mean, you look at the statistics, um, the, in the United States, the uh, National Association of Evangelicals did a study several years ago. And see, now I started in on this statistic and I realized I don't remember the exact percentage, <laughs> but it's like a really, really high, like I think 80, 80 some percent of pastors feel ill-equipped to deal mm. with trauma in their congregations. Um, you know, American Bible Society did a study last oh, fall before last, I guess now in 2022, did a study of church leaders in America and same thing. People know that rates of trauma are really high in their congregations. Church leaders estimated around 40% of their congregations had experienced trauma. They themselves, around 70% mm -hmm. of them had experienced trauma, but only, you know, in the teens percentage, I think like 12 to 15% had an active ministry that addressed it, but 70 some percent said we need an active ministry right. to help. Like there's a great desire to help. There's an acknowledgement that there's a need, but there is this sort of loss of how do we respond? And I think especially in the wake of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, it, even if people prior to the pandemic didn't realize that trauma was a problem, um, you know it now. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. 
<laughs> they know it now for better or for worse, right? It's a double-edged sword where, okay, awareness has grown that this is a real thing that everyone struggles with at some point in their life, if not many points in their life. Um, but then it's this, oh, so what do we do with it then? Like, how do we address this? Because I think that is... Um, the impacts of trauma is what people are starting to recognize that yes. it is, it almost is like a metastasis where it impacts many different areas of life. Uh, for our purposes, our conversation would love to hear your approach or your, not maybe definition, but how do you uh, define or talk about trauma? Because uh, we just jumped from physical needs to something intangible right yeah. to it being trauma. And yeah. some might people might think of trauma as these big catastrophic, catastrophic events, but that is not what you and I are always talking about. So would you be able to clarify what trauma means to you? Yeah, absolutely. I will make a small plug here. We have a great little like 90 second video about what is trauma and another one about how do we heal that is way better than anything else I will say, but I'll I'll give you our- We will link that. We'll link it in the show notes so people can just scroll over and click on it. Perfect. Because it's really, it is helpful because we do tend to think of trauma as the thing, as the war, as the natural disaster, as the car accident as the sudden death of a loved one and unexpected death. But that isn't actually what trauma is. Trauma is the emotional response to a serious event that affects our livelihoods, such as threatened or actual death, injury, or violence. Um, Mm. Trauma symptoms include increased fear, helplessness, horror. Trauma is defined by the experience of an impact on a person, not the event itself. So Mm. You and I can go through the same experience, and for me, it can be a traumatic experience, and for you, it's not, because Mm. of how I respond to it. How well am I equipped to navigate it? Did I have a chance to recover from it in a healthy community? Was I equipped with resilient skills prior to that experience happening? So trauma is about our experience to an event. Um, that leaves us with this feeling of horror um, and overwhelm. Yeah. I love that. I forget who said it, but this sense of um, not being safe. Yes. If, if you're feeling uh, unsafe, then um, your mind and emotions and even your physical body can be um, impacted by that. Yes, absolutely. And not just in that moment or even immediately after, but for years to come afterwards that our bodies literally absorb trauma um, Mm. and it comes up in physical manifestations. That's why people who have PTSD have physical reactions. They startle easily. They can be jumpy. They have nightmares. There are things that happen, you know, increased blood pressure. We know that when people are under stress, they can experience, uh, you know, things like heart attacks and, you know, our bodies respond to these things. So yeah, Mm. uh, it's deeply a part of us. Yeah. 
Yeah. So good. Okay. Before we go any further down this track, I want to pause for a second and jump back to, uh, you are currently the executive director of the Trauma Healing Institute. And I would love to hear how, what prompted you to get into that work and, and, and why was this something like, you're like, oh yeah, this is a fit for me. This is where God is calling me. Well, this actually goes right back to what we were talking about before we talked about the definition of trauma. Um, I was uh, living in Zimbabwe and as a missionary, um, and I did the math when I was preparing for this conversation and was horrified <laughs> to discover that it was more than 10 years ago. Um, but it seems was just like yesterday. Just like, yeah, that, exactly. It was just like yesterday. And, um, but it was, it was more than 10 years ago. We were living in Zimbabwe and, um, we were doing ministry through a church and some other things, but one of the things that I did was a volunteer with a little organization that helped women, young women, teenagers who'd experienced uh, sexual assault um, and uh, had become pregnant as a result. Um, these were girls who had no resources and um, living in... Uh, real poverty, and um, often their abusers were extended family members and definitely close community members. And so not only had they had this horrible thing happen to them, but they were also entirely cut off from their families and communities. And um, we were looking, I was on the board, like I was just helping, right? Um, And I was looking for, and I went out once a week to just spend time with the girls, watch kids, hang out, and was looking for some sort of Bible study or something to use with them. And I found this uh, curriculum called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. I was like, this is really, really great. And I found it online, but I couldn't get a hold of the books. Um, I couldn't figure out how to get a hold of it. And um, no, you know what? It wasn't that I found it online. It was that there were some pastors I was working with. That's what it was. There were some pastors I was working with who were who had done a training and had told me about it. And then I looked online to try to find it. But I couldn't get my hands on the materials and I couldn't access uh, anyone to help me lead this uh, little small group experience with the materials. Fast forward seven years later, I was... Um, Oh, no, no, no. Three years later. Sorry, this is math problem. <laughs> math. Three years later, uh, ten years, this was more than 10 years ago. And then three years later, I was in Philadelphia because my husband was doing grad school. Uh, and his professor mentioned that her husband was the director of the Trauma Healing Institute, which was located at American Bible Society. And they were offering a training. And I was like, what? This is great. I'm here. I'm in Philadelphia. I'm going to go take the training so that when we go back out on the field, um, cause our intention was to go back out to the world and do, um, international community development work. And I would have this tool in my toolkit. So I went and did the training and one thing led to the other. And I was hired as a program manager by the trauma healing Institute, wow. um, and responsible for Latin America and the United States at the time. And, um, you know, one thing leads to the other and seven years later, here, here we are on the other end. So yeah. That's, so it that's came out of a need that you were wanting to serve yep. a marginalized group of people. And here you are. 
Wow. Yeah. And That's that, so cool. that experience really drives how, um, how I see the work we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. The, this curriculum is really remarkable for lots of reasons and we can talk about that, but, um, mm-hmm. the, the feeling of being in the, on the ground, in the field, at the church, in the NGO, in the whatever situation and knowing I had a problem that I needed help addressing, but not having access to something that was for made for me, just a lay person with no mental health background who just wanted to help, um, having access to that, like that really drives what we think our mission is and, and why I think our work is so important. If a tool like this exists that, that is really designed for people, it needs to be accessible. It needs to be available. Um, so that's that's really the passion is that no one should be left not knowing how to respond. So tell me more about the Healing Wounds of Trauma course, because I think this is what a lot of people are feeling, as we talked about before, is this wanting or understanding that there's something more, but just not knowing how to get it. And so I think a lot of people are going to be curious about this course. Yeah, absolutely. So... Healing the Wounds of Trauma is the, um, normally this is the moment where I pick up the book and like wave it around in front of the camera, (laughs) but it occurs to me that actually this is an audio program, so you can't see me (laughs) waving the book, so I'll skip that part. So, sorry. Uh, Healing the Wounds of Trauma is a book that um, is really the heart of our ministry, and it actually dates back 24 years. Um... It came out of a group of uh, Bible translators in the Great Lakes region of Africa who were working with local communities and local churches doing Bible translation. And the pastors came to them and said, the people in our church are acting really weird and we don't know what's wrong with them. And it turned out that they had PTSD because there had been a series of really horrific civil wars. And so one thing led to another. And these Bible translators who included some mental health professionals um, and these pastors got together and they created this workshop. Um, It was designed for church leaders to help people in their churches who'd experienced trauma. Um, and initially it was a translation workshop, a Bible translation workshop. It was sort of a precursor to doing Bible translation because they started talking about topics like, um, you know, theodicy. They were like, well, why does God allow suffering? What does the Mm. Bible say about that? Wait, what does my culture say about that? Why are they in conflict? And began to unpack, you know, what is trauma or what we call a wound of the heart? What does the Bible say about that? What does my culture say about that? And begin to right. ask these questions. And so it it started out as a little workshop and began to spread all across the world, um, being used in a variety of different places. And then 10, well, 13 years ago now, um, it came to American Bible Society. Um, and initially, our work was just focused on Congo. Um, but since, since then, um, it has grown quite a bit. Um, the, <laughs> the workshop has also grown quite a bit. So what started as just like a little workshop is now a train the trainer model. Um, and there is a, a train the trainer model that, that helps participants in the training become equipped to lead small groups using 
the curriculum. So mm-hmm. the I've you, taken that course. Oh, excellent. It's How very was, good. 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 That's 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 what I want to hear. Like the yeah. the idea is that lay people in the church who have no mental mm-hmm. health background are equipped with some basic skills to facilitate a small group experience um, that uses the best of uh, the Bible and the best of mental health best practice and bring them together so that people can begin the healing process and build some skills for resilience. Because the truth Mm -hmm. is we're all going to experience hard things over and over in our lives because we're human and sin is in the world. Um, The question is how do we continue to navigate those um, while also healing from those sort of untreated uh, hurts that we've experienced, um, you know, in the nature of being human. So, um, yeah, I think I've lost my plot a little bit here, but the, the idea is that this curriculum now is for adults. Um, the healing with trauma is for adults. It's six core lessons. Um, it's, it has been a train the trainer model using this healing the wounds of trauma book. But in the last 15 years, um, it's no longer just one book for one audience. Now, mm-hmm. there are a number of contextualizations for specific kinds of trauma or specific kinds of audiences. So refugees, missionaries, foster parents, um, those coming from Muslim backgrounds, uh, every kind of sort of group you can imagine, uh, but also quite a few languages. The materials have been translated into 170 plus languages. Um, And we now have versions for teenagers and for children. Um, And then of course, uh, as these things happen over time, uh, there have been lots of natural disasters and crises Mm -hmm. like wars. And our facilitators have said, well, we need to do something. We need to use something. But in the midst of a disaster is not the time to begin healing from uh, trauma. That's where you need to really focus on coping. And so yeah. we, we went back to Healing the Wounds of Trauma book and said, what, what insight can this give us for dealing with a disaster in the moment? And created mm-hmm. a suite of materials around a book called Beyond Disaster. So we have crisis response, disaster response materials that draw on our core curricula. Um, and then a variety of other sort of off the shelf, self navigated resources. You can find our Bible studies on YouVersion or on the Bible app uh, from YouVersion. You can find um, some resources on uh, traumahealingbasics.org. These are just off the shelf, no training required, easy to use that help equip you in the moment either because you're hurting yourself or you're helping other people who are hurting. Right. Oh, that, that came out wrong. Not that you're hurting yourself, <laughs> that, that you are yourself in pain and hurting <laughs> and need something to help comfort and guide and give you some skills for coping. Um, or you're helping other people who are in the midst of a uh, crisis or disaster um, mm. or hurt. Yeah. So we have I love that sets. it is... I love that it is recognized that it is a peer supporter. So there's no assumption, a previous training or um, experience. You have the person who is compassionate, recognizes their need, and is a willing 
um, person to to yeah. lead these conversations. That exactly. is absolutely amazing. For a church who might be interested, okay, this is something I want to look into. This is something I would want to pursue. Are there some best practices or ideal circumstances where they, they should have set up beforehand thinking, just thinking, and the answer could be no. So I, I actually am not sure what you're going to say, but thinking that they're, you know, counselors to refer to or a crisis line to direct to, you know, should you have something in place or prepared before offering one of, of these uh, courses or, or, or books? Yeah, great, great question. And the answer is, I believe any church should have a referral list, regardless of whether they're offering these courses. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this ministry and this work is because churches, in my experience, are the places that people go when they're hurting, Mm -hmm. when they've experienced hard things that they don't know what to do with and can't make sense of. Um, the church is where they come. And so I think churches always need to have a referral list for cases that are outside the scope of their capacity to respond to. I love that you said that because I agree. I think one of the first steps in building your care ministry or building out um, a support uh, ministry is looking at, okay, what is our scope? What is uh, what is our niche or what are our boundaries? And then finding additional partners and supports uh, because those needs are going to come up. You are going to have people coming to you that are beyond what um, you have the capacity for, the skill set for. So um, I appreciate and, and value that. It's really important for churches to have these referral lists, but our materials either the off-the-shelf self-guided resources that can be distributed to church members or people in a community or the small group experience, they are really designed to be super accessible and Mm. easily deployed in the context of the church. These materials, these resources, the small group program, these are designed for the church and to fit in where a church leader can easily use them. So We have the traditional book-based model that requires having a trained facilitator to lead the group. And that trained facilitator has to go through what we call an initial equipping session to be equipped to lead those small groups. Um, And it's great. And you can find those trainings um, on our website, on our events page. But we recognize that a lot of people can't access training, even if it's online. Taking lots of time off of work is problematic or for whatever reason, they're just not able to do that. So we have just launched a new version of our healing groups, our small group experience, um, that can be accessed via an app. Uh, on your phone. Okay. It's available on Android oh, I didn't and know iPhone. This. It's exciting. Yeah. It is exciting actually. We just completed <laughs> the pilot at the beginning of or at the end of December. Um and we it's available in the App Store. I will say we just completed the pilot. So um there are some updates coming in the next six months. So it will maybe look and feel a little bit different, hopefully better. But the app is really a game changer because um, if you want to help other people, you download the app, you do the training inside of the app, you watch some videos, take some quizzes, and then after you you know, are 
uh, if, uh, pass all of the quizzes, then you get access to the program. You don't need a book anymore. Wow. Now you have an audio program on your phone to lead the group. And so mm-hmm. you open the program and you press play and it tells you uh, how to help facilitate, but the audio program itself speaks to the participants in the small wow. group. So it's like a small group podcast kind of a thing. It's I love still part- that. It's great. It's really, really great. It's still participatory. It still covers these key topics. It still brings together the Bible and mental health. And most importantly for a church, it's possible for a lay person to deliver it yes. really easily. Um, takes and, all the pressure off. Correct. Yeah, that's it. That it's so good. Yeah, it's super easy to deliver. And it. Um, we just hope that it makes the, these resources far more available to people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this question of how can the church support trauma, you know, it it the church can support those who are struggling with trauma absolutely, recognizing there's scope and there's a skill set and and I love how you have placed and created so many resources to equip the church to be able to enter into the space of helping people with these mental and emotional needs. It is really um it, it's transformational and it's, I think, really timely for what people are experiencing right now. I've heard from a number of people that their care ministry is only one to three years old is the average of kind of what I've heard is that they, so these are new leaders developing new programs and, and just trying to navigate this space that the church has never really entered before. So I yeah. love how you've created these and put it right in that, wedged it right in there and making it accessible for so many people. Yeah, that's the goal because church leaders are often so burdened with all of the things. They Mm -hmm. need something that they can share with lay leaders in their church to take this up and run with it. They need to be able to share um, or to easily deploy. Uh, We want to make this as as just as accessible as possible. I keep keep saying it, but that's the goal because people are hurting. And the thing is, God created us to be in relationship with one another. He created us to care for one another. We sometimes are just a loss at how to do it very effectively. And while Mm -hmm. there are times that a professional is required in, in complex or really difficult cases, I find that for the most part, actually a colleague, a friend, a, um, a Sunday school teacher, a peer, that's the person who can connect with me in a way that a professional just really can't. And that peer is there for the long haul. We go to Mm -hmm. church together every Sunday. We live next door. You know, our kids do basketball together. It's, it's a very different thing for the peer to be equipped than for the professional to be equipped. It's really, uh, it really makes a difference in the, in the, in the life of a community and certainly in the life of the person who has experienced trauma, grief, and loss. I love that. Absolutely. So knowing what you know today, if you are, would be able to, you know, look back into those years of that, knowing that passion is in you to help people but just not quite sure how to put your finger on it or growing up in church, you know, a little bit 
sheltered. <laughs> if it was, it yeah. sounds a little bit like my church, you know, yeah. knowing what you know today, all those experiences in, in Zimbabwe and the different organizations and, and leading Trauma Healing Institute, if you could give yourself uh, a letter or send yourself a voicemail, what would you tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self that I should have addressed my own personal trauma a lot earlier. Mm. I am wildly grateful for the work of the Trauma Healing Institute and the hundreds of thousands of people who've been impacted by these small groups um, around the world. But I am also really grateful for the personal healing that has taken place in my own life as a result of exposure to this ministry. And I would tell my younger self, you experienced trauma and you could experience healing as well. And it really would have changed the way that I navigated in the world. I would have saved myself a great deal of heartache and relational difficulty um, and unnecessary challenge um, if I had gone to a healing group when I was in my 20s, um, as opposed to entering into this ministry in my 40s, you know. Um, <laughs> so I think the advice is to, to pursue help in the church from the Word of God. Um, and then the other thing I would tell myself is that God loves you and wants the best for you, um, which includes your health and wholeness, not ongoing suffering. Um, I think that's really the message of our material is that God wants the best for you and he has the best for you. That's powerful. So good. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and leading uh, an incredible organization to be relevant and accessible for so many people around the world. So grateful for you. Yeah, thanks, Laura. It was great to be with you. Some of my favorite podcasts are episodes where there are stories that I can relate to, learn from, and walk away with a tool that's going to be super helpful for my church. And this episode with Rebecca ticks all of those boxes. I hope you're able to check out the resources that she shared. They're all located in the show notes. And then take a moment and pray and reflect on those last comments from Rebecca. How does your trauma experience impact your life? And would it be helpful to get more support in processing those? I appreciate you. I am grateful for you. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for your heart to serve and your passion for your community. You are a wonderful, wonderful caregiver. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for listening. Take care.